Happy Tuesday. Good morning, everybody. It's the 14th of December, 2021, and we're full of joy. We are, and we are celebrating Antarctica Day. Today is Antarctica Day. Two years ago, today we landed on the ice. We did land on the ice. So it's it's just a beautiful day of remembrance, isn't it? Yeah, and last night when we got in bed, it was very frigid. <laughs> I was saying, it's freezing. And then I actually thought of Antarctica and I was like, really, girl, is it freezing in here? Not so much. Because there we had, you know, Whistle got us these slipper boots for the tent and we slept in them because those sleeping bags were like sheets of ice. And Iggy had these little warmer packs. She like popped it and it started getting warm and we would you were supposed to put them in the bottom of your sleeping bag, but we put them in the bottom of our slippers, and it kept us not toasty. I don't want to exaggerate. I don't want to sugarcoat it, but it... It helped. It helped, yeah. My goodness, yeah. And, yeah. and you know, I just... It, it's one of those things where you, uh, you can't fathom, and I think people, when they hear the story, you can't fathom that we, we actually stayed in tents the whole time we were there because you you think of a tent you know you're not thinking of these thermo whatever you know clamshell tents that you know actually let the heat of the sun really heat them up and and to be fair you know when it was blue sky which of course there was no sun down so it right. was when when there were no clouds the sun was shining and it was it was 70 degree Fahrenheit in mm-hmm. those tents. Um, it's just when the blizzard came that <laughs> yeah. it, it was, was really not. Cold. It was not. So yeah, we knew. We knew. We knew. I I remember waking up at two in the morning. Of course, and the sun is out, and it's very, very, very hot in the tent. And I remember waking up, and I thought I was going to die. It was so cold. Yes. So, there yeah. you go. I remember waking up, and I'd always hear Lipton crunching across to go to the the loo the loo <laughs> yeah <laughs> in the middle of the night but it you could see because the it sun was, yeah the so. sun sun didn't go down yeah made little circles in the sky mhm yeah wow 2 years ago mhm yeah 9 months we trained for that trip and i thought it would never happen but it did it did and now it's 2 years ago i know that's crazy it is crazy. Yeah. That was Bridges, Crowns. The book is almost done, and we're about to start another one. So. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> Look, I didn't know that. Yeah, I'm you, very aware yeah. of what's happening yes, right now. Yes, you are. But, <laughs> but you, yeah, you joined me in the, in the coffee talk. So yes, was good. there we go. So we don't have coffee talk. It's tea talk. It's morning tea talk. Tea yes. talk. Yeah, tea and talk And it's whatever time of day you're listening, but we have... Yeah, it's the holidays, so we have Snoopy mugs instead of our morning tea mugs, just because it's the holidays and it seems appropriate, but we'll go back to this. It's kind of like a Charlie Brown Christmas is basically Mm -hmm. what you're saying. Yeah, they're cute, isn't that cute? No, they're adorable. I know everyone can't see it, but... Yeah, they're adorable. Very cute. A little Snoopy. Snoopy. So, um, we have... Yeah, any more announcements? (laughs) I feel like I should have one now. Uh, we will have, let's see, 
I think we started talking about it and they not have finished. Are we having a podcast next week? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> We're not having one on the 28th, but we got in a conversation yesterday about if we were doing one next week. Yeah, we'll probably have to announce that tonight. Okay. Yeah, that's all good. Okay. Oh, I do have an announcement. <laughs> well, praise the Lord. <laughs> you knew it was going to happen. I felt it. Um, if you ordered the expansion pack of the the Heralding Joy, which we're calling the expansion pack, Epiphanies, I saw Promise. She had a team and was diligently working on those packs, and I think she said they're going out today, definitely by tomorrow. So, you will have those in plenty of time for those days. For your expansion. expansion. Yes. I did it. You did it. My mouth is working, even though it's morning and it's early, and but it's morning, and it's lovely. So, um, I had like a bunch of things Papa was saying this week, and I thought, well... Something is most certainly for winter tea, and um, but which is which? And Papa really insisted that this is for today. So, um, we have experienced some pressure in the spirit, and um, and I think this is this is like it's not a warning, but this is this is a reminder, and I think a number of people listening need to hear this. So. Um, in the Gospel of John, and get this, this is the Gospel of John, chapter 6, verse 66. So, this is John 666. Wow. Okay. So, it says in the Gospels, from this time, many of Jesus' disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Wow. Okay. That's, yeah. that's quite a sentence. It's quite a Bible verse. And it's John 666. Wow. Many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Think about what it would mean to be a disciple. Now, this is not the 12 disciples. You know, this is beyond even the 72. This was just the 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 many, many people who were following Jesus. And if you read John 6 in its uh, fullness, you you get a real picture about how these people loved Jesus so much. And so, if if we go back all the way to 2014, which is about to be eight years ago, that was Terraforming Temple. And in chapter two, we had a um, chapter called The Cost and the Call. And, um, and so, we talked in length about how Jesus moved with power, authority, and truth. And of course, all of this was, you know, held together by Jesus' love. Jesus loved those people. And, you know, when he fed the 5,000, that was an act of love. And he was constantly showing them love that he, when he healed them, that these were acts of love. It wasn't just power. He wasn't, you know, like this hot guy going around healing people. He was loving people and had compassion for people in their pain and suffering. And so, people were moved by Jesus when he moved in power, authority, and truth. But uh, obviously, the power made him very popular with everybody, even the Sanhedrin, you know, who sent, you know, one of their leaders to Jesus in John chapter 3. And and this leader, you know, called Jesus rabbi. I mean, this was like a big deal for... Um, 
for a member of the the leadership, the Sanhedrin of the Jewish people, to say, "You are a rabbi." And um, but when he began moving in authority, the Sanhedrin abandoned him because they felt like he was breaking the law, and no prophet would break the law. And so, they let go. And of course, that's because they were trapped by the love of the law. The roadmap back to God replaced the God that we, they were supposed to be walking back to. And um, But he still had the people at this point, because the power and the love, the people stood by him, even when the authority had him doing things like healing on the Sabbath that was not so popular. But the truth cost him most of the people that surrounded him. And that was what was happening in John 666, was when he began saying things that were truthful, and he did it to flush the bushes. He was revealing the fallow ground and presenting to those people that had chosen to follow him whether or not they were going to uh, allow that fallow ground to be broken up or not, because it was a choice. You You don't just you know, get violated. You know, that fallow ground is something inside of you. And if if those stones are there and you yield them to God, God will remove them. But if you don't and you protect yourself, he won't. And that's just choice is all that is. And so, when Jesus saw that, he began saying things that revealed the, the hardness of their hearts such as, you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they couldn't see that he was talking about something greater, and they left him. And that's what it said from this time. Many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Ouch! Wow! And um, and then the other thing that we talked about in that chapter was the the cost for Jesus and, and how the cross caused him to be naked caused him to be pained and caused him to be isolated. And um, and what a, a picture that is, you know, that, that we count the cost before we go. And so, obviously, now I'm going to read the Gospel of Luke, chapter 14. And this is a little long, but it's, it's worth it. So, starting in verse 25, um, large crowds were traveling with Jesus so that that tells you this is at the time when when the people were with him, loved him, and he's moving with power. So he turns to all of these people, the large crowds, thousands of people, and he says, "If anyone comes to me and does not hate, and I, I've checked every single translation of the Bible, and everybody says hate, so we're just going to say the word hate, even though I don't like it, and I wish it doesn't say that, but that's what Jesus said in Greek, or at least he said it in Aramaic, and it's translated in Greek, so here we are. If anyone comes to me and does not hate father, mother, spouse, children, brothers, sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. So, this, I'm going to keep going, but this is, this is, Matthew has this story as well. Um, Luke has it again in, uh, Luke 9, so five chapters earlier, Jesus said this, not Luke 9, verse 23 through 24, 24 through 25. And, and he said, you know, um, take up your cross daily and deny yourself, right? And so, here he says it again, 
Whoever does not carry their cross. I mean, wow, you know, what a prophecy of what Jesus was about to do. And follow me cannot be my disciple. So he says, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost or count the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, Everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. So that's Luke 14, 25 through 33. And, you know, I think a lot of times people will separate the hate, hate people, you know, like the idea being that, um, you know, and this is, I came to divide, we said this earlier, I don't know when it was, and I don't remember the reference now, but we said it earlier, where Jesus said um, that he came to divide people from those closest to him, not because he was hostile to love and not because he came to divide, but he came to bring people to choice. And that each one of us are um, walking this journey and if we respond to God, we are going to offend the maze of um, people's belief systems. And a maze is something that has seeds of truth in it. And remember, they, these are designed, and these things existed 2,000 years ago. These people were offended by what Jesus said. And um, it's the same thing now. We are called to love people. We are called to walk in power and authority and in truth. And if that truth, you know, is scary, if that truth disagrees with what everybody else believes, either on the conservative side of the mazes or on the liberal side of the mazes, people can get very offended by that. But will we hold true to what Papa says? So, one of the things that Papa is brought into the um, context of now is that there is a great temptation occurring right now to make decisions. And this is something, Ma, that you really helped us understand years ago, and that is the difference between making a decision and making a choice. And that sometimes people will weigh pros and cons and we'll look at things and say, oh, you know, that that is too costly for me. I'm not going to do that. And, um, and not just purely with all of our hearts say, I want God no matter what. I want God. And so, I pursue God. And so, I ask God. I don't just, I don't just depend upon the Bible or a sermon. I pray and ask God, what do you want me to do? Who am I and what am I called to do? What is my irrevocable gift and call? What have you called me to do? And what have you called me to do today? And what have you called me to do in this very moment now? And then, Listen to what God says, hear what God says, and do what God says, and be faithful and true to that ongoing, so that we don't just ask God once and we're faithful and true to that, but we ask God all the time. 
And, and I think that there is, according to what I'm hearing from Papa, there is a great temptation wherever you are in that journey, whether it's before you've even asked God who you are and what he's called you to do, or before you've listened and heard what God said, or before you've responded, or if you have responded and have been walking this journey for years or months, and you've been faithful and true all this time, there is a temptation right now to get you to quit. There's a temptation right now to get you to give up and to walk away from this covenant. And and so, um, Papa is is saying this to us right now so that we understand that there is a great pressure to throw in the towel. And um and this is this is something that we have seen. We've seen this over and over again over the years in various examples and some of them I mean people called to mighty things. And and some of them were uh, either had huge ministries or were a part of big ministries and they were moving, the fruit was off the charts, but there was something that came along, and here's here's the, the key to it, is they, people can, all of us can make a vow or an oath, and we have sworn, and it's all about some form of self-protection, and either we don't want this person to hurt us, or we don't want this scenario to hurt us or, and here's the the scary, frightening part, or make us uncomfortable. These are the things that I like. These are the things I appreciate. And so, I'm only going to do these things. Or, I've been hurt before and I'm never going to be hurt again and I'm going to protect myself. And so, there's this self-protection. And what happens is, is those vows and those oaths box us in to only our comfort zone only the place where our world is the way we like it. And it we're never stretched into new horizons. And and here's the reality, guys, is that this is why Jesus said what he said, drink my blood and eat my flesh. It may not offend us, but to those people listening, oh, I mean, that was about as offensive as you're going to get. I mean, there's no way. They're like, this teaching is too hard. We can't do this. And they walked away. You, you're violating how we were raised. We were raised in a culture where we were, you know, our, our people were put into slavery by Babylon because we weren't faithful and we vowed we'll never be unfaithful again. Oh, that's a beautiful thought, but but faithful to a, a culture, faithful to a religion, faithful to even the book, this, which were scrolls back then. But but not faithful to the author. You know, it was all about having their own personal, intimate relationship with God, and, and that's what Jesus was drawing them to. And, and they were so close because they were following Jesus. It's what they said, large crowds were traveling with Jesus. This is the first thing in Luke 14, 25. And so, what did Jesus do is he flushed the bushes. And guys, right now, the bushes are being flushed. Have you made an oath that is going to box you in and keep you from going where God wants to take you? And and I'm going to be very real. Have I boxed myself in with a vow or an oath that's going to keep me from going? So, it's it's not just me and you, it's, it's us. We all are now in that position where we get to take a look at ourselves. Let Papa shine the light 
and and so that we're not we're not waiting for Jesus to come with the bomb. We're we're proactive and we're saying, "All right, Papa, we ask you to shine your light and show us these places where we have vowed not to go there." Yeah, this is a reminder. I know we've said this over and over again in the past, but right now there's a wave of temptation to make a decision and to uh, throw in the towel and to give up. You know, whatever it is, your your ministry, give up your relationships, give up what God's called you to do, whatever it might be, and. Um, and make a decision instead of being faithful and true to the choice that you made or the choice that you're about to be invited to. And, and we're stuck. We stop. We, and, and, uh, and the glory that we're covered in right now will fade, not because Papa's unfaithful, but because we choose to be unfaithful, simply because we have vows and oaths that say otherwise. Now, you know, those can be dissolved with a very simple, I repent, change my mind, and return to God. And by the blood of Jesus, those uh, oaths and those vows are dissolved, and it's that simple. But we need to know what they are, and we need to let go of them. And letting go is a big deal. Letting go is the choice. The blood of Jesus can unplug the power of it, but we've got to make that choice. And if you don't know what they are, so you ask Papa for daily bread of light, and Papa will show you what they are. And I just, I cry out to every person listening, whether you're listening today or whether you're listening sometime in the future, do not lose the glory of what God is doing in your life through you to the world and all of the people who will be touched by love because of what God does through you. Do not throw that away because you have vowed not to allow people to do this or not to do that or not to be uncomfortable or not to be in pain. You know, Jesus was naked, pained, and isolated, and that was the cross. And he's what did he say? You know, if anyone comes to me and does not does not let go of everything precious to them you cannot be my disciple because god jesus went to places where he was hated you know he went to places where he was in pain he went to places where he was vulnerable he went to places where he was isolated and and it doesn't that's not where god's going to leave us but but can we walk that journey and and yeah you know, we, we, we may get separated momentarily, but we will always be together. And that's that, I mean, I'm not going to prophesy we're being torn apart. I am saying that this is the journey. The journey is one of cost. And so, count the cost. And I, I pray that we all can choose to be faithful and true. Hmm. Well, first of all, I feel slightly convicted about my book chapters. What? <laughs> Um, but on the the scripture um, where it says, "Unless you hate, you know these these people," I, I think of one of the Hebrew words for hate, and I'm not sure if it's the one used in this scripture, but um, I found it for most references when hate is used, and that word is enmity, and it means separate, and so. You know, I've always seen that as saying, unless if you allow 
a relationship or a circumstance to separate you from me, that's where the trouble is, you know, and that's what I've always seen in that that scripture. Are you going to put these relationships before me? Will you allow these relationships to draw you away from me or draw you to me? And basically, he's asking, will you trust me if your if your first relationship is with me, can you trust me with these other relationships? Can you trust me no matter what it's looking like? Can you trust me with them and not allow it to be a disruption to our relationship, but a draw to our relationship? Yes, that's that's such a good word. Yeah, this is this is of course written in Greek, but mm-hmm. but but we always should go back to the Hebrew word for that to know, and that's that's good. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, because it goes back to the garden. That's part of. Papa's conversation with Eve when, you know, they had they had made that decision to try something without Papa instead of choosing to remain with him and be faithful to his faithfulness. And he's oh go ahead. Uh, Hosea six verse seven. As at Adam they have broken the covenant, they were unfaithful to me there. Mm-hmm. Hosea six seven. That exactly what you're saying. It it this does totally connect to that. Go ahead. Back to yeah, the garden. No, and so he he was saying to Eve because part of her covenant and call was gonna be to restore relationship, but he was he said to her, You you have to do it through me. It's gotta be worship. If it's worship, it will be through me, or else those will all be lords over you. You know, relationships can become lords over us. What their their state is right now, what their status is in our life, can become a lord over us and determine who we are instead of whose we are. And we get to trust Him with those relationships and, and always be drawn first to Him. So, yeah, it's such a good good. I think warning's a good word to us to keep our eyes on Him and know that when we're drawn to Him, He draws all things precious from Himself to us, and and it's all covered. It's all encompassed. So, well, we're in week three of Advent, and our covenant of week three is arrival. And so, I've been thinking a lot about hosting Him. And, you know, receiving Him, hosting Him, and what that, the fullness of what that means, the fullness of what that looks like, where we're, we're not just waiting on Him, we're reaching for Him, and we're so drawn to Him, we're reaching for Him in the fullness of who He is to receive Him fully into us. What an extravagant thing that is. And so I, you know, I kind of got here through through a familiar Christmas song. And uh, we've talked about it a lot because many people do not like this song. I think it's because many of us heard really bad versions of this song, but it's Mary, Did You Know? But a new version came out this year, this season, this holiday season, and it's so wondrous, and in particular, they go into a spontaneous portion where they're just singing, and uh, and it's just, it really messed me up a lot, and 
really kind of tethered me to this this week of Advent and arrival and wanting, you know, my desire here is always for Him to be born in me in a new way, in a, a greater way than I've allowed Him to be um, until now. And so, thinking of that and that that choice that that Mary did have in those moments. So I, I've just been thinking, you know, how can I host you well? How can I host you fully? How can I host the fullness that you've come in into all of me, you know, every fiber, every part of me? And looking at the word host, what I really kept coming to, I was kind of expecting to find words about hospitality and that kind of thing, but I just kept coming to the Lord of hosts, that that name and that character and that nature of God. And that that term, that name is used 235 times throughout Scripture, and I'm not even going to begin to touch all those. It's used in Isaiah 60 times and in Jeremiah 80 times. So, this was a very important calling of God, very important name. So, in Hebrew, that word is Saba, and in the noun form, it's it's the host of heaven, it's like a fullness of heaven, it's angels, it's mankind, and in the verb form, it means to go forth or carry on war. Now, remember, war means to be drawn together for a like purpose. It doesn't mean to go into a fight. It means to be drawn together for the same purpose and to to move together in that purpose. So, it means an army, a great multitude, a large organized body uh, trained to come together for the same purpose, especially on land. It's a body of persons organized to advance, and it's a collective group ready to work together for a common purpose. And then a Greek transliteration of it is a limitless company. And I love that so much because to me, this is the limitless God. And it is, it is the fullness of God coming in a limitless way. In Genesis 2, 1, where it speaks of the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them, or all the fullness of them, this collected um, collected atoms, collected molecules, come together for the same purpose, which is to reveal God, to reveal Him. And He's the conductor of this glorious orchestra. You know, all of creation including us, are in this orchestra, and He's the conductor. And we, every part of creation was made to be able to respond. You know, we can never look at, at any part of creation or any person and be unaware that they were, each of us, created to respond. We already have that ability to respond instead of taking all the responsibility on ourselves. We're created to respond, and that's so important with what you were talking about. So, one of the first to call him by this name, the Lord of Hosts, was Hannah. 
And this was when she and her husband, Elkanah, were struggling with barrenness. And she made a vow pleading, O Lord of hosts, if only you will look upon the affliction of your maidservant and remember me, not forgetting your maidservant, but giving a son, then I will dedicate him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall ever come over his head. And that's 1 Samuel 1.11. So Hannah, in this moment, called the one who could create from nothing and cause every cell and every atom to pay attention. I mean, think about that for a second. Every cell, every fiber, every sinew, every part of us comes to attention to the Lord of hosts. But how often do we call upon the Lord of hosts, the one who can create something out of nothing? But that's who Hannah called out to. That's the name she called, this one that could literally change her DNA. Her DNA in that moment said she was unable to bear this glory, the glory of a child, the glory of something he could give. And so when the Lord of hosts comes, he changes the DNA, he restores it. And every cell must come to attention, every fiber must come to attention and respond to that God, to the Lord of hosts. So uh, this is a little, a little lengthy, but I am gonna, I'll, I'll try to paraphrase some of it and read certain parts. So this is the story of Elisha and the the king of of another nation is just at war with Israel and is constantly attacking them and taking from them. But we come to this place and this is in 2 Kings 6 beginning with verse 8. So the king of Aram is at war with Israel, and he's talking to his officers, and, and he's telling them, you know, I want to set up a camp in such and such place, and what he's really setting up are ambushes for the people. But then Elisha is being made privy to these plans, and he's telling the king of Israel, beware of passing that place because the Arameans are going down there. So, the king of Israel would, would listen to this man of God, and so he was warned time and again, so he was on guard in these places, and the king of Aram was enraged. He's furious, so he brings his officers back together. Tell me, which of us is on the side of the king of Israel? So, he thinks he's got a mole, basically, who is passing on this information to, to the king of Israel? And they say, none of us, none of us are doing that. It's Elisha, the prophet of Israel, and he's telling the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. Wow, that is powerful prayer right there. Yeah. <laughs> that is being a house of prayer. He is telling the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. So the king orders him, go find where he is so I can capture him. And so they come and they tell him, where he is. So he sends horses and chariots and a strong force there. Hear this, for one man, for one man, realize that with when the king and his troops are coming, they set up an ambush 
But when it's Elisha, this man who is intimate with God, he sends out the full force of the army. So there's chariots and horses and a strong force, and they go at night and they surround the city. Elisha's servant gets up and he goes out early the next morning and he sees the army with horses and chariots and that they're surrounded. And he says this, oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? Ah, and I love Elisha's answer. Don't be afraid, the prophet answers. Those who are with us are more than those who are with him. So the servant says, what shall we do? And Elisha basically says, who do we host? Who are we the host of? Ah. So Elisha prayed, open, open his eyes so he can see. And then the servant's eyes were opened and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire around Elisha. So he sees the Lord of hosts. As the enemy came down, so the enemy's coming down and Elisha prays, strike the army with blindness. So the Lord struck them with blindness as Elisha had asked. And then Elisha tells them, this is not the road and this is not the city. Follow me and I'll lead you to the man you're looking for, (laughs) who is him. So awesome. And he leads them to Samaria. So then they enter the city and Elisha says, Lord, open the eyes of these men so they can see. He opened their eyes and they looked and they saw they were inside Samaria. And when the king of Israel saw them, he asked Elisha, Shall I kill them? And he's, Elisha says, don't kill them. Set food and water before them so that they may eat and drink and then go back to their master. So, I mean, we could spend 25 years on this. Yes. And I would actually like to, and I'm sure it'll come back up many times. Look at this house of prayer, this host of God that Elisha is. Don't just see, oh, he's this prophet in biblical times, and of course he could do that because he was this prophet. No, he was a host of God, the fullness of God. So he was able to know what was spoken in you know these plans of the enemy. He was able to know the plans of the enemy. Just like when Gideon went, you know, so he knows the plans of the enemy. And then when those around him are only concerned with what are we going to do, he says, who do we host? You know, that's my paraphrase of those who are with us are more than those who are with them. The Lord of hosts is with us. Everything we need is here. And then he prays for open eyes, closed eyes, open eyes again. And now here's what happens after he tells the king, you know, the best thing to do in the presence of your enemy is let the Lord set a table (laughs) and feed and water them and then send them back. So the king does this. He prepares a great feast. They finish eating and drinking and he sends them away. They return to their master and listen to this, what happened. So the bands from Aram stopped raiding Israel's territory. They stopped assaulting Elisha's servant was so much more focused on this vast army in front of them, but Elisha knew they were surrounded by unseen warriors, or unseen to those around him. Who do we host, he said. And, and he, he comes upon 
this instance with the king, which happens to all of us, we lose our compassion when the thing we think that the battle belongs to us. We lose our compassion, and that's what the king, even with all that happened, he thinks this battle belongs to him and he must kill something or eliminate something instead of sitting at the table, letting God set a table in the presence of what is different, of what disturbs, of what could disrupt. They were not up against the, the, the Aramanites or or Arameans, I don't know which way I uh, had that, but they weren't up against the Israelites. They were against, they were up against God. And this was the way that they could pray. They're, they're opposed to God. And Elisha knew God wanted to save them. But when we lose our compassion, it's because we think the battle belongs to us. When we know the battle is God's, we're full of compassion and we want what He wants. Not just for our own geography, but for the geography of somebody else. We want what He wants and we don't lose our compassion when we allow the battle to be His. So, Isaiah, in Isaiah nineteen twenty-two through 25 says, the Lord will strike Egypt with a plague. He will strike them and heal them. What? He will strike them and heal them. They will turn to the Lord and He will respond to their pleas and heal them. In that day, there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria. The Assyrians will go to Egypt and the Egyptians to Assyria. I mean, you guys, this was an impossibility an impassibility. <laughs> there was no passage here but God. The Egyptians and the Assyrians will worship together. Now, this, they weren't going to worship each other's God. They were going to worship the true God, the living God. In that day, Israel will be the third, along with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing on the earth. The Lord of hosts will bless them, saying, Blessed be Egypt, my people, Assyria, my handiwork, and Israel, my inheritance. You gotta read that a bunch of times and absorb that. The Lord of hosts seeks to bless, to save, and redeem. And He will do it in ways we cannot imagine in ways that feel impassable and impossible. And this week, I was, I was thinking about just the incomparable things God does, you know, in the majestic ways, the ways where you're like, whoa. But I was talking with, with Papa about some things that are hard and that I, I don't understand, right now. And so, my prayer has been, just help me understand, because I, I know you're in it, and I know you're moving. And he said, can you let me be as incomparable in the hard things as you do in the wondrous things? You know, in the things that I'm still working, along with the things I've already worked, that you can see I've worked for good. And I start to realize some of the things I'm celebrating now were incomparable in the other way, <laughs> not as long ago as I think, you know, but because they're complete, it's just like, oh, it's all, you know, <laughs> I can't even fathom what you do, but I want to always be in that place of 
I can't yet fathom what you're doing, but bring it. You know, I'm here for it. So, the Lord of hosts seeks to bless, save, and redeem. And here in Isaiah 19, he, he takes two unlikely nations and brings them to a place of worshiping alongside the Israelites. That they, the Israelites, Israel is his inheritance, but Assyria will be a masterpiece Someone who, the Assyria were the ones always attacking the Israelites. It was always Assyria coming against them. And Egypt had um, oppressed his people, but now, blessed be Egypt, my people. Ah, so, so when the Lord of hosts is blessing, saving, and redeeming, he's not saying, it's not about joining sides, it's about joining His purposes, and recognizing His purposes. Even if it's a small glance, He's doing something, and it's the Lord of hosts we're going to call on because that's, that's our God who makes something out of nothing. Where you can see nothing, He brings this bounty from that place. So, the God that saves Egypt would send a plague for their repentance and for their healing— not their punishment, for their repentance and their healing. And, and I think we've come to a place in different pockets of, of His people where we're praying so much for punishment and not repentance and healing. You know, not just repentance, you know, because sometimes it's for the repentance to get them to repent, but He wants to heal he will strike Egypt, but it will also be their healing, so they will return. And now there comes an altar of the Lord at the middle of Egypt and a monument to him at the border. This great change is spoken about in Isaiah 19. And that's what happens when the very DNA responds. Like when the cells come to attention, this can happen. So, the, this worship of nations talked about in Isaiah 19 was part of the vision of the Lord to Abraham. Abraham and his offspring were to be a blessing on the earth, and the nations were going to come together, and they were going to worship. He said to Abraham, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you, make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing. And then Abraham went forth. Remember, part of the meaning of host is to go forth. And it's really to go forth with what the Lord has spoken to you. And then Abraham takes all, all of those with him, all of those that have been gathered, all of those who have been saved, all of those who have been redeemed with him, and all of those who are yet to be go with him. But if the Lord of hosts had not left us offspring— left us as offspring, we would be as Sodom and Gomorrah. Wow. Zechariah 1, 3 speaks of the Lord of hosts. So tell the people that this is what the Lord of hosts says. Return to me, declares the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. <laughs> so twice we have this name. So in Aramaic, the word host means determination, resolution, will, to choose, and to please. The Lord of hosts does what brings pleasure or joy, what brings connection. The Lord of hosts 
brings what is needed to connect us. To call on this name, to turn to Him means to be a part of the pleasure of God, to turn to His delight, His pleasure, and away from what pleases us. Just, again, what you were talking about, turning from what draws us away from Him and being face-to-face with Him. And um, I think today in Heralding Joy should be about David, the ornament and the the writing is about David, and it talks about, David said, I always want to be found facing you. I always want to be found facing you, and I love that so much. That's that's my plea, too. Like, I just always want to be found facing Him, no matter what's going on around me. And I know that's all of our heart. We want to be found facing Him first in in all that we do. So, the turning described here. In Zechariah 1.3, the word is yeshav, which means to indwell, to dwell, or take up residence. The Lord of hosts, the God who can create something from nothing, this one who will do as he pleases, (laughs) because he is God, finds pleasure in inhabiting us. That is what he finds pleasure in, dwelling with us, inhabiting us. And what he takes pleasure in as he dwells, we will take pleasure in as well because we're one, because we're hosting him. We are a host for him. It goes on to say down in Zechariah 2, 10 through 13, Shout for joy and be glad, O daughter of Zion, for I am coming to dwell among you declares the Lord. On that day, many nations will join themselves to the Lord, and they will become my people. I will dwell among you, and you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. And the Lord will take possession of Judah as his portion in the Holy Land, and he will once again choose Jerusalem. Be silent before the Lord, all people, for he has roused himself from his holy dwelling." He doesn't just want to enter our house, but our being. Just as he did with Mary when she hosted, she was ordinary and she was extraordinary at the same time, just like us. We're all vessels like this. The angel came to her and and says these unfathomable things. And it says she treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart when she was asked to host. Now listen, she's a virgin. She's never been with a man, and she is being prepared for what she's being prepared for until this moment. And there's this realization, I think, that she certainly had that her entire being was going to have to be changed to host heaven like this. Like she physically, it seemed impassable, you know. It didn't seem like this could pass into her because of all the practical things that would need to happen. So she knew her very being was going to have to be changed for this. And she welcomed that God into her, the Lord of hosts. And she treasured the things that were said and pondered them in her heart. And there's another moment where this description comes of her in Luke 2, 51. So this is when they went to Nazareth and 
they can't find Jesus. <laughs> and they, you know, they kind of take him to task when they find, you know, because they'd traveled a day and they have to come back to get him. And he's like, but I was, they, and where did they find him? They found him in the temple. He was like, I was in my father's house. It's okay. But then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. And Mary treasured all these things in her heart. She treasured what Jesus said in her heart, just as she had treasured what the Lord said when he came to her to ask her to host Jesus. Would she host? Would she be indwelt? Could he occupy every fiber, every cell? Her cells could come to attention. Her womb could come to attention. Every part of her could. So, so in this moment, they find him in the temple. What was Mary treasuring that Jesus said? Well, she was the temple. She had become the temple of God. And so he said the same thing. They, you know, they're frantic. What are we going to do? We can't find Jesus, you know, and they, they know the import of him, although they don't know everything. And he says, you're asking what to do. But who do you host? Do you know you are my host no matter where I am? Because one day he wasn't going to be there. And Mary and all of them, the disciples, all of them that said yes to hosting him, were going to know that they still hosted him no matter where he was, whether he was on the earth or not. Do you know who you host? Do you know that there's greatness inside of you? Do you know there's already glory inside of you? The one that blesses, the one that saves, the one that redeems is inside of you. The one that restores your DNA is inside of you. I was found in the temple. Can I be found in you? Will you keep hosting me? Even when it looks different, even when you don't understand, even when you don't know, will you believe instead of what am I going to do with my life? How am I going to host this greatness? Do I know? Do I truly know who I host? And you'll start to recognize there's so much more of heaven here than you've ever known. And you won't just want to host it. You'll want to release it into every single place you are every single where that you are and the how gets out of here. <laughs> the why might be on its tails because it's, do you know who you host? Do we know who we host? Do we focus on what, what are we going to do? Who are we going to be? What am I going to do with my life? Or who do I host? And there's probably nothing you can't do in accordance to His will, just like Mary. You'll start to say, let it be done. Well, hallelujah. Can't say anything but amen to that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We, um, I mean, I think probably entire books written by the Apostle Paul. Mm. But that... Uh, he tried to say what you just said in a few sentences, so way to go. <laughs> well, I may have had more than a few, but yeah. Yeah, praise God that we, we are filled with so much more than we ever believe or know. 
but let's let's choose to believe and know because the whole point is we get to have a relationship with the one inside of us. Yeah, and He will hold all those other relationships inside of Him. He will host those relationships, circumstances and troubles for us. And as you were saying, I was thinking of that song from years ago, <laughs> but the devil inside, oh, yeah. um, <laughs> in excess, I think it was. But, um, but you know, that's kind of where we can be as as followers sometimes, like we're so aware of the trouble inside, you know, the trouble we can cause, <laughs> the things we're housing instead of who we're hosting. And it's really like I would redo that song in better ways and better days, but the glory inside, the glory inside, the glory inside, every single one of us, the glory inside. I'm sure NXS never thought that song would get used like that, but hey. I'm glad you did it. Yeah. yeah. Redeemed. Very redeemed. Mm-hmm. Amen. Yay. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll see you guys. Tonight. Tonight. Yeah. Love you. <laughs>